This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Anyway, I bring this word direct to you from my city of ill health. That's what's happened this week. I, um, I got ill. I never get ill. It was horrible. And um, so some things, you know, you know when you're ill and you're lying in your city and you just think to yourself, I'll never be well again. You know, you do things that you what's it like to not cough? And I, because I don't know about you, I'm not one given to drama at all, really not. So I think I approach it in a measured way, in a really rational way. And the only thing that kept me going this week has been the Winter Olympics. Anybody watching it? Oh gosh, I love it so much. What do I require from a sport? I hate all sport, by the way. So what do I really require from sport? One, risk of serious injury, tick. Two, risk of death, tick, you know? And I've, I get so emotional when they win. I think that's four years of hard work. They're culminating in it. And then somebody comes fourth. Wouldn't you just rather come last? <laughs> no, flat out. Oh, who wants to come fourth? Who wants to go, oh, you just missed out on a bronze? Cheers, babe. No, nobody wants that. But, and, and, you know, you hear their stories. I love that. I love hearing their overcoming stories, their victory stories. Their, they're so committed, these, are, these athletes, and it's just so inspiring. So it was sort of a, a crazy mixture of ill health and tears at inspiration. But I came on Tuesday to hear um, Karis share with YA and YABC on worship, and she used this scripture. And, you know, I went back and read it, and it's... Oh, you know, if you don't love the word of God, okay, if you don't love reading the word of God, can I just say to you now, pray and ask God to give you a passion and love for reading the word of God. Because really, what I can bring you is, is nowhere near as good as the inspiration you will get for yourself if you love and read the word of God. Do you understand? That what God wants to put into your heart, he will use speakers to do that on Sundays, Wednesdays, Tuesdays, when you meet in the street. He will use speakers to do that. That's part of the gifting. But really, the gifting on you as well, the gift he gives you is a joy and a delight in him. And so if you just learn to love this, he speaks and he speaks directly. Do you understand? He speaks directly to you. So this is, um, a me- do you know what? I am just in this place right now. The last message I spoke was from Micah 6.8. And it was about some imperatives I think God wants for us to do. What does the Lord require of you? And this is like a follow-up session. So this is part two of that. And it's all about what does the Lord require of us? And back in that message, I said it was about, you know, to walk humbly, to love mercy, and to act justly with your Lord. You know, it's all about the things we do. It's all about Jesus. But let's not forget that there are certain moral imperatives on our life that we have to do. Do you understand? It is utterly, utterly, utterly futile for us to put our hands up and worship and say, Jesus, I love you so much, but then be a lump of hell to people we meet on the street. Do you understand? There are certain things that we have to do to show our fruit to others. Because the Bible tells us, how do people recognize us? By our fruit. By your fruit you shall know them. So it's no good telling somebody, well, I'm a Christian and I go to church. But they are not seeing that led out in your life at all. Okay, and so it's furthering that. And this is post-Valentine, you know. 
any of you, this is your breakthrough. So any of you feeling particularly grim on Valentine's Day because you feel, you know, is this the only day of the year that somebody can declare love for me? Is this the only day? Will I be single forever? Is this awful? Do you know, I want you to know, it is a con. It is a day set up by shops to get money, not a day for you to feel unloved. Because if you have got Jesus in your life, you are so loved. Do you understand? Don't be waiting for somebody to tell you they love you. Jesus loves you. Cliché? Maybe. But fabulous one, right? A truism. So it's about that. So if you are wanting breakthrough in your family, if you are wanting personal breakthrough, wanting breakthrough in your singleness, in your relationships, in your finances, in your job, if you're wanting breakthrough in your health, if you're wanting breakthrough in your mindset, if you're wanting breakthrough over that nagging sin that you just can't seem to break, this is your year. And how do you do it? By dedicating your life to the Lord. And I want to just show you how much it means to Jesus that you do this. We're going to hop straight into the Word. Okay, and this word is John 4. It's the word Carrie spoke out of, okay, on Tuesday. But we're not going as far into it as Carrie said. We're only doing the first seven or eight verses. That's all we're doing. Nobody has to worry. If you have a Bible, take it out. If you have a phone, take that out. Don't text. Just look at the UAP on it. <laughs> all right, just do that. So here we go. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sachar. Near, he was Welsh. That's why he said it like that, Sachar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman um, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Stop. We're not going any further. We're not going any further. For all of those of you who thought, oh, she's going to do the Samaritan woman. She's doing that woman that well. She's doing the worshipping in spirit and truth. We're going to be doing that. I'm not going anywhere near that bit today. We're just focusing on those first eight verses and what it has to say to us. Now, the road to breakthrough depends on you recognizing and believing in your identity, purpose, and self-worth that is rooted in and through Christ Jesus. Amen. Got it? Yeah. The road to your breakthrough is rooted in your belief in and through Christ Jesus. There is no other way. You will be able to achieve some progress, and you will be able to, able to attain great progress, but sustainable, lasting change depends on recognizing your identity, purpose, and self-worth in and through Christ Jesus, the only son of the living God, who so loved you that he died for you, that we may be free from sin. Amen? Amen. So the first thing we need to do is recognize that we're worth in that. And I only have three points for you today. Three points. Three mere points for you to enjoy. And the first one is this. You need to remember three things. We need to remember three things. The first thing you need to remember is do not be a Pharisee. Got it? And it was like that. Yeah! What's a Pharisee? What's that? Don't know. But I'm not going to be whatever, Andrea, honest. Okay? A Pharisee was part of a particular sect. They were super religious. They were all over the, 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 the Sanhedrin, all over the synagogue. They were like your... 
for anybody, for the benefit of the table and anybody listening, I do not mean this to be offensive at all. They were like, you're super Jews. Okay? Do you get it? These were the people who kept the law to its letter, to the nth degree. They could nitpick the law with you until the cows came home. And their entire basis to be was in their own proof that they kept the law perfectly. And what they did then was judge you for not keeping the law perfectly. That's why sacrifices were required. They were like the police, the sacrifice police, the law police. Oh, you're not doing it right. Be like me. Yeah? That's what they were, the whole thing was. Be like me. Be like me. They are singled out in the Bible as examples of self-righteous hypocrites. With me? As self-righteous hypocrites. And let's have a look here. They are sly. They are naughty. They say mean things. They peddle fake news. Look at the Bible. Fake news in the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun. This is not a 21st century thing. Look at this. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining my disciples more than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. But they, if you go back to John verse 3, they'd already gone to John and, say, and said, he's got a lot more followers than you now, hasn't he? He's baptizing lords now, isn't he? How do you feel about that, John? And that's what they are doing. They were trying to stir up dissent. They were like, well, I mean, who is he then? How does he get to baptize? You're John the Baptist, clues in the name, babe. And, you know, and they're like, he's doing more than you. And John, the disciple John, not the Baptist, is going, that wasn't true. Jesus wasn't doing that. But John had enough about him. Read verse 3 because it's amazing. John had enough to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you know what? Actually, I'm doing this. Now he is. And my joy is complete. My work here is done because now he becomes more and I become less. And that is to the glory of God the Father. So first point, don't be a Pharisee. When they come to you with fake news, you say, is that what Jesus says about me? Is that what Jesus says? Do you know they do more? Th you do more than them. And they're getting everything. You do more than them, and they're the ones they like best. You know, I think you should be, like, recognised and affirmed more because you're so awesome. I can see everything you do. When don't they recognise you? Whoa, 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 whoa. The second your service to God becomes about you, it stops being about God and Jesus. Do you, got, you get it? This is what they did. It all became about the show. And they became so consumed with their own show. Look how perfectly I keep the law. Read Paul. Paul describes himself perfectly. Paul was a Pharisee. If you go into the letters of Paul, Paul says, as to keeping the law, I was faultless. Now, Paul was not short in self-esteem. Okay? So if Paul says it, it's true. They were perfect in this regard. And then they would judge you for your lack of perfection. So when we become Pharisees, what we do is, you know, if only, if only you could be a bit more like me, if only you could pray a bit more out loud like me. If only you could put your hands up in worship a bit more like me. If only you could read your Bible a bit more like me. If only you could talk to people a bit more. If only you could love a bit more like me. If only you could do this a bit more like me. And the second you come consumed with your own show, you're not consumed with Jesus. And this is the other thing it does. It makes you consumed with other people's show. The Bible says, look what God says to David. You don't need to worry about what's going on the outside because God says, I look at a man's heart. It is not my job to look at you and think, which they could be doing a bit more. You're God's, you're God's deal. Do you know what I mean? 
So my job is not to look at you and think they should be doing this, 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 and this. Do I pray for you? Gosh, yes. Please pray for me if you see things. But what we don't do, don't be a Pharisee. Don't spend your time looking at people and thinking they could be better or a bit more like you. People are a work in progress. People are people. People are lovely. People are complicated. Do you understand? So what the Pharisees do, you see, you have this thing. People, you're a person. You're a human being. So you're complicated, aren't you? You do really good stuff. I do really good stuff. I also do really rubbish stuff. Really bad stuff. Now, those two things can coexist. And most people have the wit, subtlety, and intelligence to realize that they can. And what you do is you pray your spirit to not do the things I don't want to do and do the things I want to do. Yes? So what we don't do, what the Pharisees do, is you totally suppress any knowledge or any information or any accountability to regard in the bad things you do when you only focus on the good. And what you do then is you're proposing and you are pushing forward a propaganda agenda of something that isn't real. Got it? Nobody is all good, save Christ Jesus. So you have to recognize, you know what? It is not my deal to point out to the people what they should be doing. Why am I projecting my fears and insecurities onto you? You crack on. You carry on with Jesus. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. I'm going to do my bit right here. I'm going to run my race. Are you with me? Yeah? Are you? Because every time the Pharisees challenged Jesus, what did he do? He directed them back to God. When people challenge you, direct them back to God. If people want to pick holes in what you're doing, and you are confident, confident that it is the Lord's will in your life and you are doing the right thing, do you know what? Say to them, I, we are going to have to agree to disagree, but please feel free to take it up with my father. That, that's where we lie. What we don't encourage and what the Pharisees did and what we can't risk becoming is some sort of gossipy huddle where we love to pick over the bones of other people's wrongdoing, perceived wrongdoing now. Do you understand what I'm saying? If somebody is murdering someone outside of a door, clearly there's an imperative that says, would you mind not doing that? I'm going to have to ring the police because that's frankly dreadful. You know, if there was something really awful going on, if it was unbiblical, if it was immoral, if it was illegal, of course we would act. But when people get together just to tear another person down, come on. When people get together just to tear another person down, just because they can, and it is in within your gift to withhold mercy and kindness, that is when you become your most pharisaical. That is when you become so distant from God. You are nothing like Jesus. And as you know, I read described a few weeks ago, we are, in, we are in a process of holiness. God is making us holy. He's beautifying us. And that is so unbeautiful. God is going... I can't act. I can't act on your behalf because I cannot enter into that sin and make it okay if you are not stopping it. So remember, the first thing, I didn't look at my watch when I started. This could be an hour and a half. Reese, Reese Wheeler's just walked in. What a thing to walk into, Reese. Going to talk at you for an hour and a half. Yes, come on, babe. So here we go, it's 22. Everyone remember that. Okay. And I love this. I wrote this down from Oswald Chambers. Gail, who's just gone out to teach her children, lent me a book from Oswald Chambers. Do you know, when I finish it, when I'm done with it, because I keep rereading the first chapter because I can't move on. Do you ever get that in a book? Oh, I'm like, this is amazing. The Pharisees 
Why are they mentioned so much in the Bible? And actually, Matthew chapter 5 says this. Your righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees. Why is he calling them righteous? Because they did stuff. Don't forget, you commit everything to Jesus. You submit everything to his glory for his glory. We get that, right? It's not about our glory at all. So it's for his glory, for his glory. But what he says is, but they didn't have Jesus. You don't just carry on doing stuff and think God will be all right with it. Actually, those moral imperatives, keeping the law, that good stuff, you still have to do. We don't cheapen God's grace by saying, but now those rules don't apply to me because I've got the grace of Jesus in my life. Actually, I don't have to be. And if you tell me, actually, I've got to be good, then you're being really pharisaical and have a religious spirit. You shouldn't be doing that because actually my life's my life and I can just crack on any way I want. You know what? You need to focus on yourself. No, what Jesus is saying is, you don't let anyone come to you and say, but you act like this. And you go, yeah, but I got grace. Whoa, mic drop. You know? No hands on me. I got grace. And Jesus is going, that is not what I died for. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die so you could cheapen his sacrifice by knowingly sinning and then coming back and saying, yeah, but Jesus died for me. There is an imperative on us to behave in a certain way. Not because we have to, but because there is a joy in behaving that way. The reward isn't at the end of our doing good. The reward is in our doing good. Got it? So it isn't about, well, if I do this for God, if I tithe, um, if I do, phew, I am going to be so blessed at the end of that. God's going, no, 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 no. Listen to what I'm saying. The blessing is in it. The blessing is in you doing it. That's why God loves a cheerful giver. God loves, you know what? I haven't got this, but you can have it. And God goes, ah, I'll give it here. Now watch me open the gates of heaven for you. And you haven't got money? We get that. We get that. We never, we don't want your money. Have you got some time you can spare? Good, do that. That's okay. Have you got a prayer you can spare? Do that. Have you got some joy you can share with me today? Oh, please do that for me today. Can you see it? So we're not talking about, oh my gosh, I've got to do this. And the Ten Commandments say I've got to do this. And I must remember not to murder anyone. Yeah, or steal a donkey. You know, right, yeah, done. You know, so I'm not doing that. So I'm a good person. I'm a good person. But I will tear you down the second I walk out of that door. Do you see? Don't be a Pharisee. Do not be that person. You keep the law of God because it is a joy to your soul. And you love Christ as your saviour. And it flows through. So it is upon us to be as good, if not better, in keeping the law than the Pharisees. But their hearts were far from God. And what, oh, this is the line from Oswald Chambers. I can't get away from it. can't get away from it. He who can judge above the pleasures and permissions of men. What? We submit everything we are to he who judges above what men say is all right and doable. Got it? Got it? Your judgment of me is your judgment of me. You can't impose that on me. God alone will judge me. So carry on and judge me. But no, if you're sitting in judgment of me, you're judged. <laughs> so the Bible says you're judged. <coughs> Let's not trifle with a holy God, church. He doesn't muck about when he says this stuff. If you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. 
Right? You, you, no, seriously, because sometimes we gloss over this stuff in churches, don't we? It is all about love, but it's also about these things that we have to do. If you do not forgive, you are not forgiven. If you judge, you are judged. I don't want to be judged like that. You know? So Sam, you know, somebody said, I can't remember who spoke this week, they said, no, when someone's having that conversation around the table about, uh, and God is there judging, because he will. You know, that's, his, he's, he's go, that's going to happen. We all get judged. I don't want to be brought into a room and go, and hi, this is Andrea, she judged you as well. I don't want God coming up to me and saying, you were judgmental. You were judgmental. Don't be a Pharisee. You got it. You got this? It's point one. We're a third through. <laughs> Joy. Okay, the next thing to remember, and that's just verse one and two. Do you see we get to the woman at the well, and that's a fantastic piece of scripture, isn't it? Oh, my word. I pour over that. But look what's in the run-up. Don't jump the first eight verses to get to the meaty bit that you think Jesus is saying. Read the background bit. He's in it all. Don't you love it? Oh, I love the word so much. Love it. Okay, here we go. That was verses one and two. Now we're on verses three and four. Do you remember them? I'll read them in case you don't. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea. This is because the Pharisees were doing this now, right? Pharisees are bipping. Bipping. Actually, we know he wasn't the one baptizing. It was you, wasn't it? Stirring it up. Isn't that horrible? Ugh, hate it. Right, here we go. Verses 3 and 4. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Stop. Part 2. Jesus is en route. Whatever your breakthrough you need today, I want you to remember, Jesus is en route. He's on his way. Now, God doesn't leave us ever, does he? He doesn't leave us. But the miracle you desire is on its way. <coughs> Hallelujah. Take heart, my friends. Take courage, my heart. Be steadfast, my soul. It's in the waiting. You may have to, oh gosh, my son isn't here this morning, but he asked me for a prayer request. We were talking about this yesterday, because he, he and I, he said, what are you speaking on? And this prayer request, he said, just came in, my mother was there, and he burst in, he went, I've got to put a prayer request in tomorrow, you've got to do it because I'm not there. I said, what's for? He said, we've got to pray for Bampa, because he's going to be saved. And my mother went, I've been praying 50 years for that. <laughs> and Joel's like, bam, let's put in a prayer request. But you know what? He's en route, mother. Jesus is en route, and the more prayers that are going up, that's okay, right? So we can all remember to pray for that, can't we? And I pray for any unsaved members of your family that you want to bring to mind as well, because I'll pray for that. You might be stood there praying, going, well, I wish you'd hurry up. But you know what? He's never late. He doesn't tarry. He's on his way. Why is Samaria important, you're asking? And, you know, it's foxy, isn't it? You think, I think it's Samaria. What's that about? Why was it such a big deal? Well, it was. Go back to the second book of Kings and you'll find out why. It was all about exile and the Jews had to go somewhere else and then they, there were other people. And basically what happened is they became a mixed race. The Jews intermarried with another race, which meant that the Jews absolutely scorned the Sumerians. They were like, uh, goddess of a Jew? I think not. So we're talking again about the super Jews. You know, we're talking about people pointing culturally and saying, you're not quite as good as us. Now, I am of a mind, whatever church you worship in, amen and hallelujah. I am not into looking at other churches and going, but they're not as good as us. If you love Jesus, 
If you're online, if you're a Catholic and you love Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you're a Baptist and you love Jesus, we'll pray for you, but hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, it's about, it's about where you're at. And this, this is perfect. Look at this. How long has this been in the Bible, people? He had to go from Judea to Galilee, so he had to go through Samaria. He could have gone around Samaria, but he went through Samaria. Why? Because it was the quickest and shortest route. Jesus is on his way, and he's taking the quickest and shortest route to you. He isn't going to go around your stuff. He is going to go through your stuff. Do you understand? Your miracle is on its way. Your breakthrough is on its way. You may have to wait. I don't get to decide that. You don't get to decide that. But it's on its way. You spent Valentine's Day alone. And I know I'm making light. I'm, I, I am given to being a bit glib at times. If that really hurt you, if that was something that really, really, really bitterly wounded your soul, I want you to know, Jesus is en route. <laughs> and he will go through your pain to get to you. He won't go around it because he wants to deal with it. He wants to say, what's that hurt about? What's that hurt about? Let me heal that. Do you know how I heal that? You can love me and I will love you. To the end of the ages, I will love you. So he goes through it, not around it. And the Sumerians were, were livid with the Jews and the Jews were livid with the Sumerians. But Jesus says, actually, I don't care about any of those cultural restrictions. Jesus won't let anything stop him getting to you. People are like, well, I'm not actually sure, Andrea. You know, um, he may have some stuff on. Yes, he does. Quite a lot of stuff. To the point that sometimes when I pray my prayers, I think, Andrea, that's pathetic. That's ridiculous. Leave Jesus alone. I do whatever thing. Leave him alone, Andrea. He's got stuff on. He's sorting out ISIS for Pete's sake. He can't be troubled with you. Oh, but yes, he can. Yes, he can. Don't ever think that anything that's important to you isn't important to Jesus. He will go through your stuff, not around it, to get to where he needs to be. You with me? Let me think of this. In Joshua, okay, in Joshua, the priests had to carry the Ark of the Covenant because they were going back into the Promised Land, okay? So they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they got to the River Jordan, yes? Okay? The Jordan was in flood. And God had told them, step in, cross. And they're like, well, yeah, oh, uh, um, let's have a quick word, God. Uh, river in full flood. The Jordan's quite large. Have you seen it? It's not like the Thiedi, right? It's huge. You know, it's like a sea. It's huge. And they're like, it's in full flood. We're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. We're in robes. That's not ideal river wading gear. Uh, chance of death high. Um, Lord, are you sure? And God goes, yes. Step into the river. The priests, not even kidding. The priests hitch up their robes. They go into the river. They start praying. As they walk in, the river dries up. The river dries up. There's a trickle. They can cross. Why? Because God had worked the miracle upstream. What you're looking at is flood, but God is drying it up upstream. You got it? 
So when you need to step out, and the thing about waiting, and the thing about testing, is that it is requirements on us to step out in faith. Whatever the size of your faith is, there is a point where God goes, and now you're ready. I know this hurts. I know you're scared. I know this is strange. Step out for me. And you go, but it's flooded. And it's going to be horrible. You are going to destroy me. And he's like, no, 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 no. Because I love you. So no, step out. And as you step out, you will find that the Lord your God has already made a way for you. You will find that the Lord your God has already stemmed the flow. You will find that your miracle was worked so far along upstream that while you were waiting, thinking God wasn't there, he was working everything for good for those who love Christ Jesus. You get in in this. Don't look at your situation and despair. Don't look at your situation and think this is never going to change. Jesus is en route. Your miracle is upstream. The woman had to come to the well. And when she got there, she found Jesus already waiting. Jesus was already there. She didn't have to sort of say, I'll just get some water. And then Jesus comes up and goes, oh yeah, right. He was already there. He had come the shortest route, the quickest way, through all the rubbish to be waiting for the woman when she got there. Got it? Don't you dare lose hope, church. Don't you dare lose hope. He's waiting. He's en route. And when he gets there, ah, I love this, okay? Because let me get on to the point. So that was point to remember there was, Jesus is en route. Now, this is point three, and this is a very important one. So, you need to remember that you make sure to turn up. (laughs) Yeah? Jesus is there, and he's waiting. We need to make sure that we turn up. So this woman, and this is verse, let me read this out to you. It's just verse 7 and 8, really. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sachar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. About noon, that is okay, midday. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The spot that Jesus stops on is an ancient well. Given back through the promise, God the father of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is Jacob's well. When Jesus meets you, he will meet you at a place of promise. Yeah? He will meet you. He's en route. When you get there, he's already waiting. And when you meet him, you will know that the point at which he meets you is an anointed place, a place of promise, a place of water, a place of refreshing, and a place of rebirth and restoration. Amen? When she came, she came to the promise. That is Christ Jesus. She came to a new thing. She had just gone out to get water. Now, this woman, it, was, it wasn't a, um, the, the footnotes in my Bible. Tell me, it wasn't a spring-fed water, um, water well. So it was all about dew and water from the rocks and everything. So they had to go and get water morning and evening. Now, she was there at midday. She was there at midday because she was shunned. She was not allowed to be there any other time. If you read further on in the story, you find out why. She said, I'm not allowed to be here. She said, you're not even allowed to talk to me. And he said, I know. He said, go and tell your husband why I'm here. And she said, I haven't got a husband. He said, no, I know you haven't got a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now ain't your husband. And she's like, oh, you know? But Jesus says, Jesus doesn't care about any of that. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? Are you picking over the, was it 12? Was it a rock? 
you know what? Let go of the semantics. Let's just focus on the word of God. Can you see what I'm trying to say? Culturally, she had no right to be there. And she had let her sin and her shame and her guilt restrict what she could do. People had imposed that upon her as well and said, oh, actually, you know what? You're a bit of a, you're a, bit of a dodgy character. We can't be around you because we're good people. Remember what I said about being a Pharisee? You're, you're good. We're good. You're not. So really, can you collect your water at a different time than us? Because we don't want to be infected by your sin because it's airborne. No, it's not. You know, you look at people and think that they're just going to infect you with their terribleness. How dare we? How dare we? How dare we? Christ died for all. Christ died for all. So the cultural restrictions mean nothing to Jesus. Okay? The physical restrictions. She was in Samaria, hated race, meant nothing to Jesus. Wherever you are, wherever you're stuck, whatever your life has done to you, wherever you are just at an impasse, wherever you've plateaued, Jesus will meet you there and power through that bit with you. And cultural, those cultural restrictions, the things you've done, whatever you've done, whatever your sin, whatever your faith is, whatever your shame, whatever your guilt, whatever your past, whatever things that you are chaining up inside of you and allowing you to restrict your walk with Jesus. And I'm speaking to myself here as well. Jesus says, I'll meet you there because none of that matters to me. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. So my challenge to us today is, don't let those things that you think should stop you from meeting Jesus, or other people think should stop you from meeting Jesus, stop you from meeting Jesus. Got it? Don't stand Jesus up. Jesus is there, and he's waiting. And the whole point of this, the whole point of this is that the beauty of it is, When we let go of all those things and move forward, we realize he was waiting there all along. And we realize he was waiting there all along in a place that was filled with promise. And we realize he had already worked out a miracle for us right there. You see, the completion of it all is he was always in it. He was always waiting for you. And he was always waiting to act on your behalf. So instead of saying, but not me, he won't do that for me. He won't do that for me. We need to say, He will do that for me. We start stepping out in faith and saying, he will do that for me because he loves me and is for me and not against me. Why would he hold it against you? He is a God of love. He sent his son for you. Are you getting this? Is this okay? Is my voice all croaky? Okay. Final point. Do you know what? I'm done. Oh my gosh, that was was soon. That was soon. Sooner than I thought because I can go on. We all, this is the other thing. People are sitting here now thinking, I've been a Christian for like a million years and I've met with Jesus. Someone's put their hand up today, hallelujah, welcome to the family. Um, and you're thinking, well, yeah, okay, there's nothing major going on. There's, it's, it's all good. I'm, I'm pootling along. I'm, I'm tripping along. Life's good. Life's good. Life's good. Yeah, this is all very nice, Andrea. Well done. I'm telling you this here today. Each and every one of us needs living water every single day of our lives. Let us never be in a place where we are so complacent or so smug or so overconfident that we forget that we need to turn up to get water. We need to turn up to get water. And we need to be in that place where we are happy to meet with Jesus. And not just happy, content with him. Not allowing 
what we are seeing working out in our lives, the restrictions that others or us or our circumstances are put in our lives, allow that to limit our relationship with an all-powerful saviour. Do you see what we do in our lives? And we don't, we may not speak out those self-limiting words. We may not speak out those negative words. We may not diss Jesus to other people, or you won't do it for me. But every time you have to pray that prayer again, over 50 years sometimes, you could, if you wish, allow your heart to grow just a little bit harder every time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every time somebody reminds you, for myself, you know, I'm very fortunate in my life. I have some fabulous people in my life, but I know other people maybe don't have that. And being a single parent would be really, really something that is difficult for them. But if somebody every time wants to point out your single parentness, you know, if you wanted to, we single parents could allow our soul to just get a little bit more bitter every time. Couldn't it? Every time you're single, you know, every time you look at somebody in a couple, happy, every wedding you have to attend on your own, every bridal shower, every baby shower, every time there's a, got the ring, she said yes, you know, on Instagram, everybody's highlight reel, every time we looked at that, if we wanted to, we could let our cynicism and our hardness grow and grow and grow. That's why it's imperative we show up at the well to meet with Jesus. Because he says, I was waiting for you all along. And I was acting on your behalf all along. Do not allow your hearts to grow hard today, friends. Whatever the restriction is. Physical health, mental health, finances, singledom, family breakdown, jobs. Whatever, whatever it is. In that place, turn up today now to meet with Jesus and do not allow your heart to grow hard. Do not allow your spirit to grow bitter and fallow. Don't sow a famine into your own life and then expect to see fruit. Do you understand? This stuff, she hasn't even, he hasn't even done the big thing about worship yet. They haven't even had that conversation yet. That's all to come. That's all to come where he goes to her. I'm going to tell you so much. You are so loved. Now go and tell her. That woman changed her village. That woman changed her village. If she hadn't turned up, if she hadn't turned up, if she'd allowed the views of others to spoil what Jesus had for her, she'd have lost it all and never turned up there. So please remember, don't be a Pharisee. Yes? What was the second point? I can't remember. Wait. Somebody took their notes. Shortest route well done. Who was that? Liana Goldstar from Jesus. Right. He was, he's on route. And the third point is make sure you turn up. You got it? Listen, have a great week. Some of you have got tough weeks coming up. Some of you have got lovely weeks coming up. I don't know what's in your life. But I'd be praying for each and every one of you that whatever happens today and for the rest of your week, that you meet with Jesus every time, every step of the way. And he's there, he's there, and he's en route. Thank you. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.